Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're gonna be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. All right, guys, what is going on today? We are here in the wealth category talking about part three, which is assets and liabilities and compounding interest and building on what we talked about in our last section where we build an equity life where we are not burdened down by debt and we can start in that position where we're now living below our means. We are out of sort of that debt trap and we can start getting to some of the exciting stuff. And when we start talking about this, the whole sort of game within the game and what we are actually trying to achieve, if you try to break it down to one statement, the easiest way to think about this is we want to acquire as many assets as physically possible and we want to reduce our liabilities to almost nothing or as minimal as we possibly can and then let compounding interest and time work for us. And a huge component of that is you have to have your life organized in a place where you are safe, where you feel secure, where you're not going to panic because you're over leveraged and you're, you know, living month to month or you're paycheck to paycheck or you have no, you know, margin of safety within your salary and then your expenses every month. You know, every time you get a paycheck, it's you're kicking out two car payments, you're kicking out a mortgage, you're, you know, kicking out your financing for your student loans and all these other things. And all of a sudden, you know, you get your paycheck and by the time you kind of look at the end of it, you need a thousand bucks a month for groceries. And, you know, a couple hundred bucks for your cell phone bill and for your utilities. And all of a sudden you start looking at it and you're like, oh, there's just, there's no, there's no gaps. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. It's at a hundred percent. My monthly income is matching my monthly expenses. So once we've gotten beyond that point and we've started to train and teach ourselves on how to sort of save that 10%, get out of our debt burden, the goal then shifts and we start to focus on acquiring assets. And so acquiring assets are basically taking an ownership interest in something that earns a return on your investment. And so if we kind of break that down, right, we think about what are we going what are we doing? We're taking ownership interest. So we're buying a business or we're starting a business. We are, you know, buying a piece of real estate or renting out our old home instead of selling and buying a new one. Because as a home, when we live in it, a lot of times that actually is a liability, and we'll talk about that a lot. But a home that you've rented out, that you are acquiring some cash flow on and getting some tax advantage investment savings from, that can be an asset. And then you can also look at buying into things like stocks and bonds and you know cryptocurrencies and all sorts of other things, which we'll get into uh, much later once we start going down the fringe. But let's stick to the basics, right? We're looking at businesses, we're looking at real estate, we're looking at stocks, bonds, commodities, things like that. So we're taking ownership interest in that. And one of the big things that we're going into right now is when you start studying some of the great investors of all time, the Warren Buffetts, the Charlie Mungers, Peter Lynch's, Bill Miller's, Ben Graham's, you start reading them and you start to notice that like there's a lot of similarities here. And it's much the same, I assume, if you guys listen to this podcast and then you listen to a couple other, you know, health and wellness podcasts or you follow a couple, you know, health and wellness gurus on Twitter. There's a couple of really good ones out there that, you know, post a lot of stuff. And it's just like, we're all kind of saying the same stuff, 
So why isn't everybody walking around with a six pack? And the the real reason why is it's the execution, it's the action, it's the the day to day process of showing up every day and eating healthy and exercising, being outside, laughing and smiling, sleeping effectively, drinking enough water, all these things. It's all of that a little bit every day. And what's so hard about that is right now we have all of these things in our lives that are so easy to acquire that step in the way of that. We have a lot of easy entertainment. We have food delivery on demand, you know, DoorDash. I could DoorDash Tommy's Pizza. It'll be here in 20 minutes. We have a lot of distractions. Technology has created that in our lives. And when we think about stocks right now, and we look at some of the early Robinhood numbers that are starting to come out because they're about to go public. They're about to be a company that you can buy stock in. And so you're starting to see some preliminary numbers. And it's kind of crazy. And I think that this is going to be a huge hindrance to what all of these great investors talk about all the time, which is its temperament, its pragmatism. We have to think about what our head is, well, like kind of where our head is at when we're looking at our investing principles. And a lot of times when we're younger, especially, we sort of get into these gamble modes. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially over these past couple of years where there hasn't been as much sports and you start to see, okay, Robinhood stuff's ramping up like crazy. Now we're getting into like TikTok influencers talking about options trading and, and crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Well, all that stuff is just a big distraction. And that is stuff that, again, it's kind of sucks, but we have to fight against it. And that's that's going to make sticking to solid, sound investing principles become sort of an outlier thing. Just like being incredibly fit and happy and healthy and in shape without taking a bunch of supplements, without having to worry about jumping to the new hot fitness trend or program or the new fad diet and posting about it and being all, all on top of like the current social media trend from a fitness perspective is sort of unpopular, right? It's not normal. It's not every single person isn't just like sticking to their workouts every day and just going in and kind of grinding it out and hitting good solid workouts and enjoying themselves and then going about their days. It's uncommon. And so when we start thinking about that, when we start thinking about acquiring an ownership interest, there's a couple analogies that I've always really loved. And I think Robin Hood kind of uh, embodies one of these. And I think, you know, if we start looking at some other platforms, which we'll talk about a little bit, um, you know, that's sort of going to embody maybe the better principle. And so when we think about what we're doing when we buy a stock, we are buying an ownership interest in the company. And so let's say you guys all know friendship, probably, I hope at least. If not, we are a small business. And let's say you guys really liked our business and you're like, you know what, Jeff, I love being here and I would love to acquire an ownership stake in Friendship Fitness. And you'd say, okay, well, what's what are the next steps here? Okay, well, we have to determine how much of the business you're going to take, what percentage, how many shares are you going to buy? We have to determine what a fair price for that is. Well, how do we determine what a fair price for that is? Well, you need to think about how much money you're going to give me and Grant and then what your return on that investment is going to be. And so there's a bunch of different valuations and ways that you can calculate that. But when you do that and you go through and you sign the contracts and you go through the dotted lines and we you know have meetings with lawyers and you meet with an accountant, you go through these things. Well, you're pretty bought in at that point. So there's a process to it. 
And it's not always a quote unquote liquid market, which means it's not easy to buy and it's not easy to sell. And so in that way, when you're going through acquiring a business ownership stake, there's a lot of skin in the game. You got to go through a lot of stuff for it. But I like that. And I think one of the hard parts when people buy stocks, and especially when we're talking about like app trading on stocks, and you can kind of easily come in and easily come out is you don't have those meetings with lawyers. You don't have those meetings with accountants. There's nobody looking over your shoulder, making sure that you're signing documents or they're not walking you through the dedicated financial statements. A lot of times what it is, people are just like, oh, like I saw GameStop and AMC are flying up. So we're just going to go in and buy a bunch of it. And they know nothing about the business and they don't have any conviction about it. They have no knowledge of the system. There was no thought process more than a couple minutes and a couple clicks. I think that's really dangerous for people as we start looking at building sound investment principles. Because when we look at a lot of these businesses, and again, let's just use friendship as an example. If you were an early investor in friendship, it was going to take, I mean, I don't know, four, five, six years of really not earning any real return on your investment before you might have actually seen like a really profitable business where you could get some ROI on it. And if you stick with the business and you grind through and you have the sweat equity and you do those things again, that kind of builds this like it's it's like a, it's like your puppy, right? Like it's, it's like your baby. You love it. And you're sort of pot committed to it at that point. And you wouldn't give it up for anything. Even if it fails, you know, you're riding the ship all the way down to the end. And you love it. You love that business. And when you guys are thinking about acquiring assets, I want you to keep this stuff in mind. I want you to acquire assets that you really like, that you're really convicted in. And one of my best stocks I've ever bought, one of the ones that I'm most convicted about is Chipotle. A couple years back, uh, well, God, almost 10 years ago now, for those of you guys who know me, I was eating Chipotle almost every day, five, six days a week, still kind of do. Ever since I've gotten out of the army and really, uh, even when I was eating at uh, high school and leaving, you know, Worthington Kilborn, that sawmill Chipotle had just opened up probably my like sophomore year, maybe or junior year. And so we started going there all the time for lunch. So I've been going to that Chipotle for about 21 years and very, very consistently, I would argue that I've probably spent more money at that Chipotle than anybody. And you're starting to look at this and it's like, okay, buying lunch and buying Chipotle every day, well, that's kind of a liability, right? Like that's costing me money. Now you have to eat. And so it's really the difference of what a normal lunch would be versus a Chipotle lunch. But let's just say every day net, I lose $5 on making my own lunch versus having a Chipotle lunch, okay? Well, a good way to start thinking about that is I love that business. I love it. I look forward to it every day. I go consistently. There's a lot of people at that Chipotle all the time. I want to see it succeed. And so for me, I bought all, I've bought and have been buying consistently throughout the years, dollar cost averaging into Chipotle stock. And what I've done in doing that is I've sort of taken something that was, you know, a $5 every single time I go and buy it liability. And because of the appreciation of the price and, you know, the benefits of the stock and how well it's done, I've sort of negated that cost. And the way that I like to think about it in my head is, yeah, I'm kind of part owner of Chipotle. And so I basically kind of eat for free because the amount that that stock has appreciated over time has more than paid for the burritos that I've bought. 
And so it's kind of a cool way to think about that. And when we start thinking about acquiring assets, these are the things that we want to start thinking as businesses you love, businesses your kids love, things and trends that you start seeing that like you cannot live without, which is why Apple's the biggest company in the world. When you start looking at Apple and you start seeing people like, and if you have an iPhone and you're in like blue group chats, right? Your, your iMessage group chats and you, you know, get somebody who's a green person in there and you start looking at it and you're just like, oh man, I tried to go to an Android phone. Probably some of you guys remember this, but a few years back, I tried to go to an Android phone because they're, they're better phones. No matter what way you look at it is they are, they are better processing. They're faster. They have better cameras. They're better phones. They also have a lot of really cool security features that Apple doesn't necessarily have sometimes. But I ended up going back to an iPhone because those blue group chats became like a drain, downloading all of the GIFs and all of the messages and all of the videos and all of the pictures and everything that was sent. It was burning my battery down like crazy because everything was sent as an SMS instead of an MMS. Now I know I get down into that. So same thing, right? As soon as I made that switch and I went back to Apple, I was like, man, okay, I got to buy stock in Apple. And that's sort of the way that I like to think about buying assets when we start looking at like things like stocks, when we start looking at companies you're going to buy. Another thing that I try to focus on, and for some of you guys, this is going to matter a lot more than it does for me, because I don't actually really think that there's a lot of great like fitness categories uh, in you know the the stock market world. It's like you could buy Planet Fitness, um, you know, and when Amazon bought Whole Foods, like okay, like that's something I think I can invest in. But when you start looking at some of these things, acquiring assets, you also can think about what business are you in? What thing do you know better than other people? What little edge do you have over somebody who's looking at thousands of different stocks across thousands of different industries and categories and all these things? And they have to be kind of abreast of the entire stock market, all the way down to small cap and micro cap companies. You can have an edge over those people by just knowing your industry better than other people. And so maybe you guys are in construction. And you know certain things about tools and you use tools every day and you've started to notice that, you know, let's say DeWalt tools have really started to fall off. But when Milwaukee tools are doing incredibly well and every every contractor, everybody you see is starting to buy more and more and more Milwaukee tools And the talk of the trade is always, yeah, I traded out all my DeWalt's for Milwaukee's because they're just a better program and they're, it's just better. It's higher quality. I like it more. I'm, I'm a Milwaukee guy. I'm never going to go back to anything else. And you know that and you see it and you watch it every day. Well, that's great market research. That's something that an analyst sitting on a desk is maybe at best only going to see a quarter later. So that means you get a full quarter jump or maybe even six months or a year jump on some of these stock analysts. And so that's an edge. That's something that you guys have. That's something that you know retail investors, every individual can sort of have some degree of a stock edge, whether they think about it or not. So I like to think about that. We start thinking about buying businesses, buying assets in the stock market. And I know that that's something very popular. So I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit first. But obviously, from an asset perspective, stocks are not the only way. They are one of the more, quote unquote, passive ways. And especially when we start looking at some of these apps, they are probably the most liquid and easy way to do that. So they're easy in and easy out. But always remember that that can be a bad thing just because of you know, normal investor sentiment is not always as good as it needs to be with some of these things. Now, 
we start thinking about assets, what are the things that we absolutely require of our assets? One, it must earn above the rate of inflation once all costs and time are included. And so a lot of times, this is typically where your house is going to lose the uh, the you know asset kind of nomenclature, in my opinion, right? And there's a lot of varying arguments. And yes, you can kind of look at nitpicking some of these things. But when you start counting in all of the repairs, all of the stuff that goes wrong, the roof you've got to buy, um, you know, all of the lawn mowing and gardening and landscaping and, you know, water heater went bad and all of this money that you have to kind of sink into it time and time and time again, over and over in the years and all of the time associated with that, you start to see how much different that is than like owning Apple stock or owning something like that, which is significantly more passive and is going to take basically none of your time. And so you have to actually calculate for that cost. And so when you start looking at some of those things, a lot of times it's going to be really hard. Now, housing's going incredibly well right now for people. So we might actually be above, once you count in all your costs and all your time, you might actually still be earning above the rate of inflation on your house. But it is definitely up for argument. So don't necessarily count your house as an asset. It's sort of more like forced savings uh, when you look at it that way. And obviously, we sort of have to live somewhere. But when you start looking at that, like I would I'd like to not add that into my assets because we have to sort of want to keep our house right and our assets want to be things that we can move and kind of change and play around with as needed and quickly like do something like we sell one of our rental properties or we sell some stock so that we can take on a better opportunity somewhere else right so let's say i'm going to sell all of my apple stock so that i can invest in this business that i'm really interested in now you wouldn't do that with your home like hey honey you know imagine this conversation hey honey i'm gonna sell our house because i want to invest in this new startup business like you're going to get divorced. I can already tell you how that's going to go. It's not going to go well. All right. So that's sort of why our house isn't an asset that we want to kind of think on. But we want to think about it must earn above the rate of inflation. So right now, inflation, you know, a lot of differing opinions on this, but it is definitely rising. It's something where, you know, a lot of people are going to say somewhere around two or three percent, depending on what thing you're talking about. You know, some things are inflating at 20 percent or 30 percent or even more right now. And so we need to be thinking about trying to ensure that our assets are have the ability to rise above that rate as best we possibly can. And that's why we look at things when we're looking at stocks where they can maybe pass some of the inflation on to consumers. And so that's a nice part about things like Amazon and Apple and Chipotle and Netflix and some of these stocks where it's very easy for Netflix if inflation and, you know, they have to raise their employees wages by 10 percent. And they have to do that so that their employees can keep up with the cost of living and all those things. Well, if you start looking at that, it's really easy for Netflix to raise the price of their monthly subscription by 10%. It's like $1.49 per month. That's not crazy. And that doesn't freak anybody out. But just in raising it 10%, now they're keeping up with inflation. They pass it right on to the consumers. They don't take any of that liability of inflation. All of a sudden, your Netflix stock is sort of hedged from inflation. So that's where stocks are nice. That's where real estate, residential real estate, and some of those things can be really nice. Uh, but that's something that you just kind of want to think about. The second, and probably in line with that, what we need to be thinking about with our assets is they need to earn a return in line with the risk that you are taking. And this is where I think people can get bogged up sometimes is, you know, this is just to take it to kind of the current world. If we look at our, um, you know, our GameStops, our AMCs, you know, our, our crazy, you know, Dogecoins and some of those things, people are looking for 
uh, rates of return that are not in line with their risk. Right. And so if you look at something like let's take a let's take a crazy cryptocurrency, let's just make one up. Although now they have some really crazy names out there. Um, so let's take uh, Shark Tooth, right, as a cryptocurrency. And let's say it's just like going up by 300%, going down by 100%, going up by 380% and then down by 100% or 90% and all this stuff just over and over and over, up and down and up and down like crazy. Okay. Well, yes, you have a potential compounding return of three or four hundred percent, three, four times, five times, 10 times, 20 times. But your chance of losing 100% of your capital are, I would say, pretty great. And like pretty great of 100% loss is like anything more than like, 5% or 10%, right? There's a 10% chance that you are going to lose 100% of your investment. I would argue, at least for me and my investing principles, that you should just not even go into that asset. It's just nothing is worth that. No rate of return is worth losing 100% of your capital. And so when you start looking at that, you can see that the safer the business is, so you take something like an Apple, take something like an Amazon, or you take something even like safer, like the S&P 500 or the total stock market or something like that, pretty safe, well diversified in some of these things. Well, your rate of return might only be something like eight or 12% compared to the 400% that you might get over here. But what is the risk of Apple going out of business before you could potentially sell that stock? I would argue right now that the risk of Apple going out of business is essentially zero within the next five years. And so it's zero, it's zero percent, right? And what are the chances that Apple's not going to continue to do well? I'd say it's pretty low, probably less than 1% too. It's just a very safe stock to be in, right? It's not necessarily going to go anywhere. It hasn't been overly impacted. Like iPhones aren't going to stop getting sold because COVID happens, right? If anything, they become more an essential part of your toolkit for your daily life. And so it's safe. And because of that, you're not necessarily going to earn these outsized returns because more people are going to be involved with them. More people are going to hold ownership stakes in them. And so there's a lot more people in those safer bets. So as you start thinking about that, we we have to earn that return in line with the risk that we are taking. And so this is where businesses can actually be really, really interesting is small businesses and starting your own businesses and some of those things. Yes, they are risky. But the nice part is, is a lot of times, or at least why I was so excited to start Friendship is that risk is 100% on me. It is 100% on my work ethic, is 100% on my conviction, on my belief, on my tenacity. And if you trust in yourself, then I look at that as a low risk, right? Like that, those are the things that's nice about kind of owning your own piece of your own business is you really can go out and look at the risk that you're taking just based on like your sheer laziness. Am I being lazy today? Then it's high risk because if I'm lazy every day for a week or every day for a month or every day for a year, the risk of me losing 100% of that business is extremely high. But if I wake up and I work my butt off every day and I work my butt off for years and a decade, and I just continue to keep working my butt off, then I think the risk risk is relatively low. So that's what I like about kind of businesses when we start looking at the things that we're gonna be buying. So that rate of return is gonna be something that we're gonna talk about later on. It's kind of down the list a little bit. Uh, But as we start thinking about that, that's kind of piece number two with acquiring assets is they need to earn a return in line with the risk that you're taking, okay? And we don't want outsized bets where the risk outweighs the rewards.
Now, our last thing with assets is we want to be thinking about as much as we can trying to acquire these in tax advantaged vehicles where we can. Okay, so this is where your HSAs, your IRAs, your 401ks, your 529 plans, some of these things, you know, there's there's a million different ways that you guys can, There's they all have all these three letters and three numbers and all this crap. Um, there's a bunch of different tax advantage plans where you can buy stocks, where you can buy um, equities and, you know, commodities and ETFs and some of these things. There's even self-directed IRAs where you can start looking at buying some real estate and some other different things. But generally, we want to be acquiring those things first because the tax advantage is basically just free money. And so HSAs are great because they're triple tax advantage. So you take them out of your paycheck pre-tax, which means, you know, if you're in a 30% tax bracket, you're basically saving 30% just right off the top right there. And so that's a great thing. Then you can invest your HSA money and that can grow tax-free just like in a Roth IRA. And so as it's growing, as it's compounding, all of those gains are going to be tax-free. And then when you turn, I think it's 62 for an HSA, when you turn 62, you can actually tap into that money. You can take it out again, tax-free. So triple tax advantage. HSAs are really cool like that. Definitely an underutilized tool for people when it comes to uh, their savings, when it comes to their investing. So the HSA is definitely a utensil I would look into if you guys are not investing there. You should look into that because uh, a lot of times, especially if you guys are listening to this podcast, you're probably extremely healthy. You probably don't use a lot of your HSA. Uh, like we have something like a thirteen or a fourteen thousand dollar deductible on our uh, healthcare plan, and so you know you can build up that HSA pretty heavy if you never use that. And so uh, luckily, Maria and I have not had to really use our any. HSA stuff for the most part uh, over the last 10 years or eight years we've been together I would say we've probably used maybe two thousand dollars towards healthcare. Um, so it's definitely something that uh, that I would look into if you guys are a low user of your healthcare and health savings plans and then obviously when we start looking at IRA and 401ks you can look at the tax advantage aspect of that you can also look at the matching aspect of that if you guys are looking at your your companies or um, you know the the systems the universities whatever you work for matching in some capacity again take the free money where you can but we also have to think a little bit about the liquidity of some of these things and so again this will talk we'll talk a little bit more about acquiring assets and what type of assets that we should be acquiring and how we should be doing that later on and again, this is all just stuff for you guys to kind of think about, right? Like obviously at the end of the day, you guys have to come up with your own plan on this. And I definitely recommend that you guys are talking to people about it that kind of live a lifestyle that you guys aspire to, to live. Um, but as you guys are looking at this and we start thinking about how we want to do that, well, if you guys want to be able to move your assets and you want to be able to acquire more assets, so let's say we want to buy more real estate or we want to buy you know, companies or we want to be involved in other companies or we want to start our own company, well, you do have to realize that an HSA and an IRA, they're not necessarily liquid, which means that we can't just sell the stock that we have in those, take that money out easy peasy and just get all of that cash and then utilize it right there you get dinged on these things so you, you're going to pay extra fees and some of these things to actually take that money out and so that's sort of where you'd look at something like a brokerage account but max out your tax advantage vehicles where you can other tax advantage vehicles is when we start looking at rental real estate and com <coughs> commercial real estate and the reason that those are nice is because as we start acquiring cash flow from those businesses the depreciation of the assets themselves a lot of times will offset the cash flow that you're getting 
And so you don't necessarily have to pay a lot of taxes as you are earning cash from those investment principles. So they're a very tax advantaged vehicle. There's also a lot of different things that you can do when you're buying and selling those from uh, sort of a, an organized appreciation, but also 1031 exchanges. There's a couple different things that you can do in that world where, again, you don't have to pay a lot of taxes on that specific type of investment income, whereas something like a you know, savings account or a uh, stock account where you're earning dividends, you will pay taxes on that cash flow coming from those assets. And so let's say instead of buying, you know, a rental property, a rental house, you buy a, you know, a high dividend yield fund that's, you know, paying out 5%. Well, you're going to pay interest or you're going to pay taxes on that 5% from the dividend fund. But if you earn that same amount of cash flow through the real estate, a lot of times you won't end up paying taxes on that same cash that you got back. So that's why real estate is a popular investment principle. And then obviously it's sort of inflation proof and it has a lot of other hedges and safety nets for it. And then the last one, guys, from a tax advantage perspective is businesses. So I've been very lucky over the years now. I've probably helped, I would say, a little over a dozen people start different businesses. Um, everybody from obviously gyms, uh, but private practices and small entities and craft shops and some of these things. Um, you know, I've had the the lucky pleasure of watching Grant start a few different businesses, three or four different businesses. Grant's my business partner, if you guys don't know. And so the, there's a bunch of great aspects to that. And I could probably do a whole podcast on just starting your own business, which I highly encourage everybody to do for a million different reasons. It teaches you so much about the world and having the pressure on your family's income and something on you requires you to just elevate your own game, elevate yourself, elevate your habits, elevate who you are, your education. It, it demands it of you. Otherwise, the business becomes handicapped. The Your employees become handicapped. They can't continue to do better. Their lives, their families, their kids can't get better unless you get better. You become the bottleneck a lot of times. And so you are forced into this elevation game for yourself. And so businesses are really cool like that. But a lot of times too, businesses come with a lot of tax advantages as well. And so a great thing for you guys to get into is starting to look at, okay, what are things that I'm doing that maybe I'm kind of good at and uh, I think I could maybe do on my own. So if you guys like notice, like Jenny started her own business, she's got built by Borda and she operates that out of friendship and she gets tax advantage things out of that. Eric is looking at starting his own business now for uh, his woodworking, his tables, and he's extremely good at these, right? Um, so plug for Eric, right? If you guys are interested in um, you know, looking at uh, getting one of those cool live edge tables, he's your guy. Um, but he's starting to look at that. And so there's a bunch of tax advantages to that. And there's some really cool things that you can start to do with, um, you know, home offices and, uh, you know, buying things from you or your family or yourself in terms of, you know, kind of earning some of those uh, tax free benefits on the cash that you're earning. And so if you guys are looking at that, maybe you're really good at, you know, making t-shirts or making tie-dye shirts or um you know you you make uh, like jenny's dad makes these really cool pens and cutting boards like just little arts and crafts doesn't have to be anything big but the first thing you do is learn how to make it a business and file for your llc go through writing a small business plan start to work in some of the systems create your bank account get your tax id number 
and start to work into some of the tax advantages. Maybe even meet with the CPA at first to start to learn what those things are. And so if we start to look at those tax advantage vehicles, if you were to be, if you were to maximize your HSA and your IRA or your 401k every year, if you were to buy some rental or commercial real estate that you rented out and you were to start your own business, well, right there, you have a really solid portfolio of assets that are all tax advantaged. And you're going to be able to earn cash flow from those businesses and from those things, mostly tax free. And so it's a really cool way to start thinking about. That's a big difference from if we work a W-2 age job and we don't own any assets, we're getting taxed on every dollar we earn. And that's a fundamental piece of understanding that we need to have. If we are working a W-2 age job and we are getting taxes automatically withdrawn from our paycheck every month, and we are not acquiring any assets. We're not acquiring anything in our HSA, nothing in our retirement accounts. We have no real estate um, and we have no business entities. Well, where you are is in a really precarious situation as it pertains to things like inflation, losing your job. That is not a lot of safety and security, even if we are earning a lot of money, a lot of W-2 wage earned income in our jobs, that can all be shut off in a millisecond. And you've seen this this year with things like cancel cultures, like something that you maybe would have thought like was totally fine that you did 10 years ago might come out. Some tweet that you posted when you were a college kid or some picture that you posted on Facebook 12 years ago might surface. And all of a sudden you lose your job. And if you don't have any assets to fall back on, if you haven't been taking advantage of some of those vehicles, well then all of your income just dropped to zero in one moment. And that is hugely risky. And we want to avoid that as best as possible. We start looking at how we acquire sort of that end game, right? Is the goal, the whole goal here is to acquire as many assets as we possibly can that end up paying you a monthly coupon, dividends, or distribution that can support you and your entire family and the charities that you support and want to be you know, benefiting every month. And once you achieve this, you're functionally retired and you can focus solely on your health, your happiness, and your contribution to society. And that is it in a nutshell. That is the whole game is we are trying as much as we can to acquire assets. And so if you guys are going through kind of days to days, weeks to weeks, months to months, the one thing that we want to kind of be tracking and one of the the best things to track is on a month to month basis, on a year-to-year basis is tracking in a spreadsheet or somewhere, how many assets did I acquire this month? How many assets did I acquire this year? How much ownership stake did I buy into for businesses that I love? Where Where did I grow? Where did I develop? Where did I walk closer to my goal this year, this month, this quarter, whatever, you, whatever you know, timeline you like to track it on. And it really is from a financial perspective outside of like budgeting and sort of step two that we talked about last week in terms of like getting out of debt and, you know, not living in sort of that negative cycle, but living an equity life. This is sort of it. That's really all you need to track is once you start to make sure that, okay, I've got, you know, an emergency fund, I've got plenty of cash, I'm, I'm you know, spending less than I make every month, then the entire game just turns into this. It's how many assets can I acquire 
And how long can I hold those assets and how much do those assets pay me every single month? And just track that stuff. And at first you guys might start and your assets might pay you like a 71 cent dividend. And it just doesn't seem like a lot. But I promise you, if you stick to a process and you really commit to this stuff, to acquiring better and better and better assets every single week, every single month, over time, you'll start to notice that this starts to compound into something really serious for you. And it's a mindset. That's all it is, is it's a mindset. And so when we start looking at some of these really popular investors and you study them, you read their books, the Warren Buffetts, Charlie Mongers, Peter Lynch's, Bill Miller's, Ben Graham's, some of these guys, and you read their books, right? The one similarity that they are all going to share is that they believe in the power of compounding interest. They believe in acquiring great businesses, ownership stakes in great businesses that you believe in, that you love, and sticking with those over time. And when we're acquiring assets, we want to keep in mind our own mental state. And to be totally, you know, perfectly transparent here, guys, I'm a bit of a gambler. I like gambling, right? Like I love playing craps. I like blackjack. I like poker. I like betting on sports. I like to do these things. Those are, these are all risky endeavors, right? Like you, you are going to lose at casinos most times. Okay. And I think about it more as like it's entertainment when I start looking at those things. But I know that about myself. So for me, I choose to invest most of my money in illiquid type vehicles, right? So businesses are great because like I said before, to go through the process of owning and having an ownership stake in a business and getting out of it is extremely challenging. It's not liquid. It means it's not easy for you to get out of it, okay? And so that's like sort of my top is ownership stakes in businesses, Second for me then is real estate because real estate also not super easy. If you guys have ever sold a home or bought a home, that's not an easy process, right? There's inspectors and appraisers and real estate agents and mortgage companies and this, that, and the other, right? And then you got to buy insurance and you got to talk to this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. It's 45 days. It's 90 days. It's going to open houses. It's watching the MLS. It's all, it's a bunch of stuff. And when you find a property that's going to work for you, and you're convicted in it and you go and you drive out there and you see it and you talk through it and you start thinking about, okay, what am I going to have to fix up? And you go there and you spend your weekends and you paint it and you fix the toilets and you change this and you change that and you patch the holes and you get the new HVAC system put in. You do all this stuff and it's time, it's hours, dedication. Spend the 90 days, you get the mortgage, you put the down payment down, you do all these things. That is a lot of effort. That is a hell of a lot harder than smashing the buy button on a stock on Robinhood. But for me, that helps my brain wrap itself around the fact that the goal is to own the asset for longer than five years or 10 years. The goal is to acquire the asset and have the conviction and belief to hang on to it. Because the time in the market to allow these things to compound, to allow them to grow, to allow them to become even greater businesses with even more value to you and to your family as an asset, that takes time. And every time that I sort of messed around with a little bit of brokerage accounts here and there, I, I it's too easy to get in and out of. It's too easy to click a button. 
it's too easy to see something or be manipulated by some Instagram or Twitter or TikTok follower. Somebody you talk to is talking about this and you start thinking about it. And there's only like three stocks that I bought that I've actually held since the day I bought them. So I just know for me, listen, HSA and IRA, that's where I'm going to buy most of my stocks. And that's going to be something for me where once I buy them, I just have them. I don't sell them because they're there for, they're locked in until I'm in my 60s, right? And so it has 30 years to compound. And so for me, that makes it really easy to just know in the back of my head that I can't touch that money. I can't tap into it. I can't get it even if I want to. And that allows me to actually be a quote unquote good investor because I can't touch it. And there's a bunch of really cool studies about this. If you guys have ever uh, listened to some of the studies and debates and things around like, you know, it's time in the market. Should you dollar cost average? Should you smash buy? Should you do this? Should you do that? Uh, there's a really cool study and I'm not going to nail it because, uh, you know, the story is a lot longer than this. But the thing that really sticks out to me is they basically took like a uh, hundred, you know, residential investors and they watched them over a period of something like 10 years and they looked at whose portfolio did the best and how did they treat their portfolio and all these things. And there were two portfolios that were way above everybody else's and they're like oh man like these guys are outliers what did they do well they were the two guys that died and nothing ever happened in their portfolio they literally the stocks that they bought first were the stocks that they had at the end and they just didn't touch it for 10 years and those are the investors who had the outsized returns everybody else sold uh, bad times and bought at bad times and made bad decisions and were too you know finicky and they're just tweaking and twerking too much and you know losing little bits here and there in the margins and so that's always a story that's really stuck out to me and that's something that i always kind of think in my brain whenever i go to tinker or play with something and so you guys just have to know yourself you have to know your own sentiment you have to know your own mindset and process and this is something that i think carries over really well when we start looking at you know health and happiness is it's also important to know these things about yourself when it comes to working out it's important to know who you are it's important to know what things you're prone to you know, are you prone to missing workouts? Are you prone to having, you know, bad motivation? Well, then maybe you need to have something where it's like it's non-negotiable. It's locked in. It's scheduled on my calendar. I can't miss it. Maybe you need to have some sort of a negative incentive to things. Maybe you need to tell, you know, tell, tell one of the coaches, listen, I want you to charge me $50 every single time that I no-show for a class. And all of a sudden, like, I can't no-show because it's going to cost me $50. And, like, that might be the thing for you that helps turn it around and motivate you. And that, for me, is basically the exact same penalty. It's like I can't, you know, sell these stocks and take cash out of my IRA because I'm going to get hit with a 10% penalty. And so they're going to take that money. The government just gets free money and they get to take. And so I don't want that. So I'm not going to sell it and I'm not going to take that money out. And those incentives actually can go a really long way. And they don't a lot of times need to be very much. But knowing who we are and knowing what things you're prone to, knowing that maybe you're prone to manipulation when it comes to buying and selling stocks, buying and selling cryptocurrencies that are, you know, oh, like, oh, this cryptocurrency is going to explode. You got to go and buy it. You got to do this. It's going to go up 400% because Elon Musk is going to tweet about it tonight and it's going to be this huge deal and it's going to be incredible. You got to go in. You just got to go crazy and you're going to make so much money on it. If you're prone to that, then you need to, number one, be completely off that platform. And number two, have absolutely no means to buy into cryptocurrencies so that you could even do that, even if you wanted to. Because that's really dangerous stuff. And there's a lot of people that are getting seriously wrecked over some of those things. 
So that's how we're going to kind of wrap up today. So let's kind of general or let's summarize here a little bit. Okay. Assets. We're acquiring ownership stakes in things. That is our goal. And those ownership stakes need to earn more money than we put in. So earn a return on our investment. Hopefully that is above the rate of inflation. Once all costs and time are included, more the better, right? But that return needs to be in line with the risk that you're taking. Okay. Put them into tax advantaged vehicles as best you can. Know who you are. Put them in things that are maybe a little bit less liquid and have a little bit longer of a time horizon and allow you to maybe be a bigger part of things if you are somebody who is kind of a gambler or has a tendency to want to tweak and play. Stay away from liabilities, which are things that earn you negative return on investments. So things like uh, you know, buying brand new cars. Let's say you buy a Ferrari and it's for $100,000. As soon as you drive it off the lot, you just lost 40 grand. So stay away from those things, okay? Acquire those assets and start to get to the point where you're tracking how many assets you own and what the monthly payment from those assets are. Track that in a spreadsheet every month, every quarter, and every year. And start to see what that cash is and start to compare that cash to what your wage income is. And the goal is for us to increase the amount of money that our assets pay us to be more than the wage income that we have. And as soon as that day comes, you are functionally retired. As soon as your cost of living is surpassed by the money that the asset pays you, then you can just focus solely on what you wanna do every day. Your health, your happiness, your contribution to society, charities, teaching people, whatever it is, and then allow the compound interest. We're going to talk a lot more about compound interest, most important, most cool thing in the world. Uh, also, one of the things that the human brain doesn't understand very well, but allow the time in the market to work for you. Okay. So never buy into an asset. Try not to buy into things that you're thinking in a three month or a six month timeline. Try to always be thinking about in a 10 year timeline, right? Five year timeline, 10 year timeline is what we want to be thinking about is any asset we buy, we want to hold for at least that period of time before you start thinking about selling it. And so if you're looking at something like if I were to put a gun to your head, let's say you bought AMC, all right, let's say you guys are an offender, that's okay, all right, we're gonna try to build and grow from this. Let's say you bought AMC and I put a gun to your head and I said, are AMC theaters gonna be around in five years? And I made you bet and I said, you know what, I am going to, I am going to, you know, do something really, really bad. Just the really baddest thing that I could possibly do to you if AMC theaters are not here in five years, right? What do you think? You have to vote. You have to bet. What are you going to bet? And you can immediately see, okay, well, that's not a very good investment. Okay. And because I don't know if AMC theaters are going to be around. Now we did see Fast 9. It was a full theater. So that was exciting. Right. But I don't know. Even after I got out of the theater, I was kind of like, ah, you know, and I'm a theater guy. I love theaters. I really do. And I will always continue to support and go to theaters for any big blockbuster movie. I will. So long as they're there, I will. But there's something pretty convenient about being able to stream Luca. Like we watched Luca the other day. We watched Soul the other day. Great movies on Disney+. Plus. Um and there's just something about being able to stream a new movie at home, you know, and we watch them with James and we watch them with some of the kids, uh, Liz's kids and, um, you know, Bobby's kids and stuff at the house. And it's just something about being able to put these brand new movies in 4K on your TV at your house. That's uh, pretty cool. So I don't know. I think it's not looking good for theaters uh, over the next five or 10 years. So, um, so we start thinking about that. If you use those time horizons, that is going to benefit you as you guys start looking at this stuff. Okay. 
So takeaways for that are just trying to think about the, you know, the, the bigger, broader goals that we're thinking about. So now we're starting to get into some of the exciting stuff. Uh, as we start looking down the list here, um, we're going to start looking about, uh, you know, sort of jobs and businesses and wage earning and some of the risks inherent in that, some of the benefits inherent in that and kind of where we want to be thinking about going over the long term and, you know, what to do if, if we absolutely, you know, love our job and everything's incredible and we want to continue continue working there for an extended period of time, uh, how we can start looking at bringing things to the workplace that are going to benefit the business long term and ensure that we you know, keep that stable job that we love. So we're going to talk a lot about that stuff next time, and then we'll start getting into some of our uh, detailed for our tax advantage stuff and dollar cost averaging and uh, you know my my losing your password uh, rule. So this is uh, that's kind of something that I've implemented for Maria, which has worked out very, very well. Uh, on your investment accounts, losing your password. So we'll talk about some of these things in the weeks to come. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.